morning, and welcome to HR Examiner Radio's Big Ideas segment. I'm your host, John Sumter, and today we're going to be talking with Vinny Merchandani. Vinny, how are you? Doing great, John. Thanks for having me on your show. You're in Tampa. Is it hot in Tampa? Yeah, you know, May through August, people. I get a lot of help from people, especially in the Northeast, in the winter months. Somehow, May through July, I don't get any other criticism, but I don't get much of the sympathy either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself to the audience, please? Sure. John, so I live in two worlds. You know, one is that of enterprise software that you're very familiar with, the Workdays, the Oracles, the SAP. I write a blog called Deal Architect, and I also consult with companies on software strategies. The second hat I wear is that of broader innovation and how technology helps us innovate, you know, the whole world of how we work, how we live, how we play. So, you know, and there I don't just look at information technology. I look at clean tech. I look at health tech. I look at space you know, different areas where technology is pushing the, the boundaries. I post on average about 500 blog posts a year um, on that blog. And, you know, reading from those tea leaves, I've gotten fodder for four of my books. So broadly, you know, balanced life between Deal Architect and New Florence and the, the themes. I used to be a Gardner analyst. And before that, I was a Pricewaterhouse consultant. So over my career, I've had a chance to travel to 60 countries, Consult with a number of executives, and meet a lot of smart people like you, John. So I've been I've been blessed. There you go. Get that flattery and write it right at the right moment. So <laughs> that's, no, John, that's fantastic. I've, I've always I've always respected you. When I got the invitation, I said yes without hesitation. So <laughs> so 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 what are you wrestling with these days? What are you thinking about? John, two, I, I would say two broad things. So if you look at the HR community that you, know, you, and, I, um, you and I interface with, um, one thing I'm, I'm kind of puzzled by is how little HR people really seem to understand what's going on in the job economy, right? I, I think we have a remarkable job economy, which is created by my reckoning about 40 to 50 million full-time and part-time jobs in the last couple of decades that we don't track very well. So let me tell you what I mean by that. One is franchises. You know, anymore, it's not just McDonald's, Ace Hardware, American Express Cruise Planning, UPS Stores. I mean, it goes on and on and on. There are about 10 million people hired in franchises. But most people kind of look at it and go, oh, it's not a great living. It's actually a very good living for a lot of people. Um, the second area is platforms. You know, Apple has paid out $70 billion to developers on its uh, iOS uh, app store and probably a lot more to musicians from the iTunes store. Um, a lot of small businesses leverage the Amazon fulfillment platform. Others utilize eBay. Uh, you know, we all know about Uber and Lyft, how they're helping people with uh, at least part-time use their cars. We know how Airbnb is allowing people to use their uh, real estate. The, the third area that I don't think we track enough of is the whole alternative healthcare. So chiropractors, acupuncturists, you know, a whole bunch of new names of occupations that we hadn't heard of 20, 30 years ago. And finally, you have the whole group of ethnic groceries. 
you know, where people go, ah, you know, these are, it can't be a good living. But you go into a Filipino food store or an Indian food store, and these are little hives of activity beyond the food. I mean, they're, you know, because they have a lot of immigrants as customers, they're selling them travel back to the home country. They're selling uh, funds transferred to those countries, all kinds of activities around those little um, hubs, if you will. So, you know, when you look at, I call this the alternative jobs market. And HR people don't seem to realize how many choices people have anymore. The other thing about HR that is about the jobs economy that that you know, is really puzzling is we've got five million unfilled jobs. We have had it had that for now five years running. Every single month, the Bureau of Labor Statistics reports that we have five million unfilled jobs. And on the other hand, we have students with over a trillion and a half in student debt. Yet something is not right in the jobs economy. So. I, I, it's something that HR should be all over, and I'll explain a little bit further as we as we as we go through what HR can be doing. So that's one thing that's been bothering me quite a bit. The second thing I'm fascinated with, and this is broader than HR, is how certain memes—they're fairly toxic ones—but how do they start and then get going? You know, so for a long time now, manufacturing is dead. What people don't realize is we're still the second biggest manufacturer in the world, bigger than Germany, Japan, and Korea put together. We make planes, automobiles, industrial equipment, very sophisticated chemicals, pharmaceuticals, software. I can go on and on. The other meme is our middle class is dead. I mean, I hear, I, it just annoys me when people say that because every time I go into Costco, every time I get on a Southwest flight, every time I stay at a Marriott hotel, these things are filled with middle class. It's not the one percenters. Um, another meme that has, hopefully we can talk more about on this show is this whole thing about machines are going to kill all our jobs in the next decade or two. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, that's um, by the way, on the middle class, I, you know, you, you tell people, do you realize we have $20 trillion in retirement assets, 401ks and IRAs, and, you know, that's the middle class money. And, and people just oblivious to that. And and then finally, I'm seeing now a new meme start to come up, which is saying Amazon, Facebook, Google, and um, Apple are going to take over the world. You know, so we need to look at monopolistic uh, analysis, maybe break up these companies. I'm saying, guys, Amazon, just look at books. Even today, their book market share on a global basis is less than 30% in terms of digital digital ebooks. We have a long way to go before these guys are going to be monopolistic in a, you know, in a substantive way. So anyways, so those are the two broad memes that are kind of gnawing at me. Well, let's so 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 we might have a very long disagreement about the <laughs> the middle class question. The 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 um, I think that I think that what's meant by the middle class is dead is is net wage growth has stagnated for forty years. <laughs> you know, so so what used to be abundance in the middle class is often not abundance for the middle class. I think. 
I think you could you can draw a direct line between uh, wage stagnation and um, the rise of populism in the United States. Uh, you, you know, so so don't want to don't want to sidetrack us too much. But if you look at cost of living, if you look at the cost of especially manufactured products, China it hasn't gone up much in the last thirty years. Now, healthcare has gone up. Some services have definitely, uh, you know, boomeranged almost out of control. But the cost of living has not dramatically changed. So, well, that's, you know, we that's could, largely uh, because they re-wickered the statistic in the late 90s. <laughs> right? they, took, they took all of housing out of the cost of living calculations. And so, so in an era where where the cost of housing has generically exploded, it's not calculated inflation. Yeah, especially in your part of the world. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, yep. Um, um, so, so, so let's get off of politics and on to the bright, the, Vinny's bright future of automation. Well, so you know, I wrote the book uh, recently called Silicon Collar, and the well let, let me let me start off with my broad you know nugget which is i think machines make us workers i say that broadly smarter speedier safer so that was the premise when i started writing the book of silicon collar i was looking for you know super what i call super workers uh, workers that are just absolutely bending the bell curves in terms of productivity customer service Whatever you want, whatever way you want to measure them. So I started off the book uh, interviewing practitioners in 50 different work settings. So I talked to BP about how they're using drones to monitor remote pipeline in places like Alaska, how they're using robotic crawlers up their rigs so people don't have to dangle down ropes, you know, dangerous tasks. I talked to University of California, San Francisco, their medical. Uh, the Benioff Center there, about robotic surgeries, robotic pharmacies, you know, digital voice trans- transcription, cognitive Watson-type stuff. I talked to KPMG, the auditing firm, about you know how they're applying cognitive um, computing to the audit process. So you know these were examples from 50 different industries on everything from use of artificial intelligence to robotics to drones to exoskeletons, different forms of automation. And if I were to net the conversation out, most of them are very pragmatic. They would tell me, oh, yeah, we're excited about this, but then they'd say, you know, the automation is not that mature. By God, it's expensive. You know, so they all had yes buts in their, in their assessment of how they're deploying automation. And not one of them told me we're going to be laying off, or maybe they won't tell me, but you know, I could der- derive from their voices. They were looking at supplemental to human effort, not mass layoffs and so on. So that was a practitioner perspective. In contrast, you know, mm-hmm. as I started to talk to analysts and academics for the book, I found almost hysteria. You know, so Oxford University uh, about four years ago, did a study. Two of their researchers did a study on. They looked at 700 
occupations in the Bureau of Labor's uh, statistics uh, classification, and they assigned a susceptibility to automation to each one of them. And out of that, they came up with the conclusion that 47% of the U.S. workforce is susceptible. Now, in the four years since, not a single job in those occupations has been lost, but that study has been you know, regurgitated and, and shared by 500 other academic journals. You know, so it's become kind of accepted this is what's going to happen in the, because of automation. My former employer, Gardner, uh, has had you know, similar scary projections, and I've told them, man up. After four years after your projections, not one of them has come true. You really need to say we were wrong because you're scaring people. So anyway, so that was two very contrasting, the practitioners, very pragmatic, the academics and analysts, hysterical. So I said, how do I reconcile this? So to reconcile it, I went back and I looked at um, 100 years of automation. So I looked at UPC codes and groceries. I looked at ATM machines and banking. I looked at how cars have been evolving in terms of machines taking over, you know, everything from cruise control to all the new stuff that's happening with autonomous cars, with the future autonomous cars and so on. So what's true is technology is accelerating. But what I found was technology adoption takes a long, long time. So if you look at banking, right? I mean, we've had ATM machines since the 80s. Even today, just in the United States, we have 90,000 bank branches. They're still hiring half a million tellers and other human-facing employees. If you look at grocery stores, we've had the patent was issued in 1952, started to appear in grocery stores in the 70s, the UPC code and the scanner and so on. Even today with self-checkout and so on, millions of those jobs. And this is just in the U.S. Around the world, there are many more. So, you know, my conclusion was society has a way, I call it circuit breakers. Society has a way of slowing down adoption of technology. and so I'm, I'm I'm not that worried. In fact, you know, I've found examples of, um, you know, alternative health, um, alternative jobs, like I mentioned, on franchises and, and platforms and so on that we, we're not tracking very well. And I also found several examples of what I call super workers. So if you look at UPS with their telematics, I mean, their, their uh, failure rate, accident rate is on average, million miles. Okay, I mean that is dramatic to make workers that much safer uh, with, with technology. If you look what Amazon's done with their uh, data centers, they've been able to cut prices fifty times in a decade. Unheard of. With a small group of so, employees. so where does the, where does the fear come from? If 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 the facts are that. Um, um, Life is getting better, and uh, being automated out of your job is not really a critical concern. Where does the fear come from? You know, I, I would say, John, this is the first time automation has really targeted white-collar workers. And, you know, as a society, as an economy, we've been getting away from agriculture and manufacturing right over the last uh, century. And white collar was assumed to be kind of 
um, safe from too much automation because, you know, it's not like you can put a robot or you can put a drone to do some white collar uh, cognitive stuff. So now that artificial intelligence and machine learning and all that are starting to to target um, uh, white collar jobs, that's where the fear is starting to come out. That's that's one. The other thing I find is we you know we we're in transition. Our parents had lifetime employment. Well, anymore the S and P 500 company used to live 60 years. Now it only leaves, leads, uh, lives less than 20 years. Companies cannot afford to think in terms of life, life um, uh, employment. So they've been moving to more variable models and so on. So, you know, a variety of factors, the fact that we are so white-collar-centric and we're seeing it for the first time, unlike agriculture, which is being automated for uh, three centuries now, or manufacturing, which, you know, since the European Industrial Revolution has gone through waves of automation. So I would say those two, those two factors. So, so it's really the, the fear comes from the fact that automation is, is entering uh, universes that it didn't used to enter, and that, that has provoked a stronger response than is appropriate. Is that what you're saying? That, and I'm finding a sense of hysteria. Like I said, you know, I, I see these memes emerge and get propagated. And they're not challenged enough in time. And so they become <laughs> accepted reality, right? So that Oxford report, I mean, I, I'm shocked that 400 different academic journals have basically taken this study, not challenged it. I challenged it in my book. Um, but it's been four years. Not a single job has been lost. And yet... Every month, you'll find a new journal that will print the, report, uh, the results and say 47% of the U.S. is susceptible to automation. Well, it's the interesting so, thing that, we've, that we're learning about, about news in general, which is that scary stuff is more <laughs> popular than not scary stuff. If it, if it bleeds, it leads, right? Um, you know, but John, see, this is where this is where uh, I think all of us need to listen to news, listen, read analysis, but we really have to push back and make our own conclusions. You know, based on other data, other points of view. I'd love for your audience to read my book and say, "Vinny, I disagree with you here, here, and here." You know, I don't, I don't expect people to accept my point of view. Um, verbatim. So I think we need to do that. We need to be a lot more cynical of uh, especially academic research. That's, so, so, so that's interesting. Now, now you mentioned um, as we were getting ready to do the call that you think there are some things that HR might do in this area. What are you thinking about? So, you know, first of all, automation, if, if you buy into my my thinking that automation makes workers much more efficient. Everyone has the opportunity to make them super workers. By the way, one of the case studies in the book was the Golden State Warriors and how they use missile tracking technology to track Stephen Curry's three-pointers and how they're putting harnesses on healthcare harnesses on different uh, players on on um, uh, during practice so they can say, hey, you know, his quad is only firing. 
70% when it should be firing at 80%, something may be wrong, let's take him out. Uh, but, you know, we, so if you buy into the theory that HR, automation machines makes workers safer, speedier, smarter, I'd like to see HCM executives much more involved in automation. Of the 50 interviews I did, not a single one had an HR background. These were plant managers, these were logistics guys, these were, you know, COOs. I didn't find a single HR person involved in these decisions. So that's one thing. I would love for them to be much more proactive and involved in any automation decision. The second thing, I think, more from their human perspective, because they, you know, clearly are the most empathetic to humans in the in any organization. I'd really want them to step up and say, guys, don't worry. You know, it's not like we're gonna we're gonna lay off every single human being. It's not like we're gonna quit hiring human beings anytime soon. Um, so, you know, I'd I'd like to see HCM become more more active on both those fronts. Well, well, that's interesting. Are there some specific things that HR might do? Um, I, well, in terms of being involved in the automation project, I mean, yep. literally require, go to the CEO and say, if there is an automation project, there will be a HR representative on the evaluation team. I mean, that I'd, I'd like them to be that bold about, about being involved in automation decisions, because trust me, then they won't get invited unless they push for it. Um, you know, in terms of their their empathy, more sharing with labor, sometimes you know when it comes to these things, HR thinks like a compl- things on compliance issues. They think like lawyers, right? Oh, we can't tell our staff this because then we'll uh, be tying our hands and so on. You know, honestly, attorneys and accountants do enough of that. This is where HR needs to bring out the human factor, human empathy out a lot more. Well, well, that's interesting. So, so you you appear to be saying that people shouldn't be concerned that automation isn't going to harm them. Um, uh, uh, so, so let me let me let me John, let me just say what automation has always done very well is it can target individual tasks. And I in the book I talk about three D tasks. If it's dull, if it's dirty, if it's dangerous then automation should be targeting those tasks, which allows us then as human beings to not do the drudgery, to not do the dangerous stuff, to not do the dirty stuff, and allow us to evolve into much more creative, um, you know, cognitive stuff in most of our jobs. Um, So it's not like automation does not affect our jobs. It transforms them for the most part. It also allows companies to not hire, you know, 100% of what they needed to. It, maybe they can do do with 60% of what they needed to. So it does impact workforces uh, in terms of how the job gets transformed. But this panic, but this panic over we're going to lose 100 million jobs here, 200 million jobs there in the next five years. That that level of uh, hysteria is what what you know we need to be careful about. So so just to read back to you what you just said, uh, you said automation might allow a company to 
hire 60% of what it used to hire to get the work done. Um, so, so that's a 40% layoff. Um, not, and, not, 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 not really, because that 40%, it's not a complete job. Certain tasks will be targeted. And that 40% can be reutilized in a bunch of other productive ways. Now, if they were looking to hire 100, they may only hire 60. So yes, they'll hire less in the future. But, you know, on the other end, John, we're creating so many new occupations, so many new jobs that, you know, I, my basic philosophy is, and I, I, you and I as small business people probably, probably came to the same conclusion a long time ago, which is I don't think I can expect a lifetime employment and, and, a, and a pension from a company. Uh, and, you know, I, I need to watch out for myself. I need to keep evolving. If my job is going to get 30% is going to get automated, I better move away from that 30% uh, that is a dull or dirty or dangerous part of my job and start evolving to other things. So if you were, I believe you have some wisdom to offer about how to reduce anxiety about job loss. You want to uh, step me through that? I think the anxiety comes from, uh, and the anxiety reduction to me comes from having much more historical and other data, right? So if you read my book, I, I talk about a number of things that, you know, frankly, we should have had a massive panic attack as a country in the 1950s and 1960s. Because the amount of automation technology that was being developed for banking, for groceries, for automobiles, and so on, should have, uh, you know, if, 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 if we had been as hysterical as we are now, should have led to, a, a, you know, a, a lot of concern. But the way it rolled out, even without the panic, you know, 40, 50 years later, we still have millions of those jobs. So I think even today with all our hysteria that we are hearing, we'll have plenty of this, today's jobs, and then there'll be a bunch of new ones that are constantly being created on platforms and franchises and new, new science-driven jobs. So, you know, I think, it's a, I think it's a question of being flexible and learning to transition and constantly refreshing our skills. Got it. So, so it's been a great conversation. Uh, is there anything you'd like the audience to take away? I, you know, I would say I would say two things. Um, if you read my book, John, the, the fascinating thing I found was the amount of automation technologies that are out there. You know, we're going through a phase where everyone's talking about artificial intelligence. That's just a small part of the overall spectrum that companies can apply to automate stuff. There's everything from, you know, bots to 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 drones to 3D printing to wearable technology and so on. So, you know, look at automation much broadly and look at it as how it is impacting different jobs. That's why I went through 50 different industries to present how different jobs are changing. And thirdly, look at it as an opportunity to make us all into super workers, you know, much better salespeople, much better shop floor workers, much better garbage collectors. These are all examples from the book 
Um, and, and, you know, in general, typically economies grow when productivity gets a major boost. I see this as an opportunity to get the economy into a, you know, a much more productive state. And, you know, I don't see jobs disappearing anywhere near as fast as some other um, uh, pessimistic people do. Well, fantastic. It's been a great conversation. Let's make sure that everybody knows how to get a hold of you. So if you'd give them contact information, reintroduce yourself. Sure. Vinny Merchandani with Deal Architect. My email is VM, so the first two initials of my first and last name, at dealarchitect.com. My Twitter handle is Deal Architect. And on Amazon, if you can <laughs> type my name, which is not too easy correctly, you could find all six of my books and you'll also find links to my, you know, two fairly prolific blogs. So that's several different ways to get a hold of me. We've been talking with Vinny Donny, the deal architect. Thanks so much for taking the time to be here, Vinny. It's been a great conversation. Thanks for having me, John. Yeah, and you have been listening to HR Examiner Radio's a Big Ideas segment. We've been talking with Vinny Merchandani. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time. 